Hey everybody, this is Joe, your Dungeon Master. I just want to start at the top of this episode with a couple announcements. Uh, first of all, we apologize for putting this episode out a little late, and I guess it's about a week late now. Um, we had something real important come up, some personal things going on. So, um, you know, life gets in the way sometimes, but uh, we hope you, you enjoy this episode 9, and sorry again that it's late. Uh, the next episode will go up on uh, June 12th. So two weeks from the 29th is June 12th. The second thing I wanted to mention is that we are going to do an episode after episode 10, uh, so about a month or so away, called Around the Hearth. And this is going to be a chance for you guys to submit questions to us, anything you want to ask about the quest or outside the quest, about D&D, about our characters, about my job as a DM, anything on your mind about the show, uh, you can ask. You can send us questions on Twitter at the hashtag TheTavernCast. Our Twitter handle is at YMIATavern. Or you can go on to Reddit. We have a subreddit r slash ymia tavern and there's a post there called around the hearth and we've got some some really great questions so far we're excited about reading out on the show uh that's going to be that's going to be put out as a podcast episode but i'm also considering maybe doing a twitch live stream uh for that so people can ask questions real time so be on the lookout for that sometime in in late june or july uh we're really excited about it Okay, didn't want to keep you too long before the action, so here it is, episode 9. Last time on You Meet in a Tavern. And the portal closes behind you, and all around you is just this vast desert of red sand and rock. As you get closer, you make out the um, the visage of a woman, and this is a, this is a wooden statue from what you can tell. The wooden statue... Uh, starts to descend. You guys head down this staircase and as you reach the bottom, you um, go through this archway and you come through to this beautiful, beautiful rectangular chamber. You see a long wooden table with a massive feast set out. Uh, there's, there's tall ornate candles going down the center of the table and this table is just littered with cooked meats and platters of fruit and breads and cheeses, steaming stew, and cask upon cask of delicious looking ale. Uh, Tug elects to start drinking. As you look down this table, you actually notice that there are dozens of chairs and some of them are, are occupied by skeletons. There's like rotting flesh on their bones, uh, which you can clearly see through this skin that has kind of drooped down to the floor. Um, they are small. They are, they are like childlike corpses. And you do notice on their heads, they have uh, each these two small white horns that are curling back across the side of their forehead at the top of their skulls. Um, so are they dead? Doug is no longer drinking. <laughs> you climb up the staircase and you end up to the top back in the red sands and as you as you come to the top you see in front of you and to either side these three sets of reeds i pull one up uh you break off the top of this thing um and as you do that you hear this dull 
screech that's loud and high-pitched, and it's like the worst sound you've ever heard in your life. And you hear this from three different directions. And as you hear this screeching noise, from the sand erupts these massive cockroach-looking creatures. Three of them erupt from the sand and stare straight down at you. And we're back in initiative, boys. Uh, You take 17 damage. Okay, I'm dead. (laughs) 17? He's dead. 13, so you're going to take six damage. Cool, I'm at zero. ready 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 let's do it getting tipsy so last we met you guys had kind of getting your got your ass handed to you by the three and kegs disrespectfully right disagree well it happens so <laughs> <laughs> uh and um yeah so you went unconscious and the last thing you felt kirk right before your eyes kind of fell was this spray of this hot green blood and the sound of this singing metal weapon through the air. And um, you fell unconscious. And now you you wake up to the smell of incense and cooking meat, the sound of distant activity hanging just on the edge of your senses. Your eyes burn as they adjust to the light and smoke that hangs in the air of the large tent you find yourself in. You are bandaged and shackled to a rough wooden bed covered in straw and various ripped pieces of cloth. Across from you sits a hooded figure looking down, cleaning a long steel weapon with sharp curved blades on each end like some sort of lethal boomerang. The figure wears a black cowl with plain sleeveless leathers leathers wrapped snug against its body. Around the back of its hip falls loose blue cloth wrapped around and tied together to drape behind a pair of dark trousers and thick black boots. And this episode is going to be a little bit more exposition based where we're kind of setting the scene for this this um, arc of the story. So feel free to like jump in at any time with what your character might be reacting to, what you want to say, uh, kind of what's going through your all's head. Um, feel free to interrupt me and interject at any time. Uh, so all all three of us woke up, or Kirk did? You had said Kirk. All three of you. Or is it, okay. Yeah, all three of you I mean, um, tech, in separate tech. beds pretty close together are in this tent. Uh, so and we're shackled. Sh- shackled to the bed so we're, we're to remain in a lying position, or can we sit up? Your arms are kind of tied with a rope that is tied to the legs of the bed, so you can sit up if you need to. You've got a little slack. Okay, um, I'm going to sit up and uh, Tug sits up and drinks in his surroundings, uh, see if I can uh, see anything of note besides the gentleman you just described. Well, it's a figure, and actually, as you sit up, um, she hears you, and she says, um, she says, I would not be so quick to move if I were you. Um, I'm, I'm literally just sitting up. 
<laughs> Literally just uh, sitting. She up. looks up. <laughs> she looks up from cleaning her her boomerang, and you see, you all three see the face of a beautiful young woman with bright blue eyes. Um, the top of her head is kind of covered in a cowl and wrapped up in these blue silks underneath. Um, so you're just seeing her face. Uh, she gently places the boomerang on a nearby table and leans back in her chair with her arms folded. And she says, hmm, quite the trouble you found yourself in back there, eh? Uh, confirmed. Um, thanks for saving us. I'd give you a thumbs up, but um, I'm shackled. So thank you for that. Also, you- Durf, Durf checks the player's manual to see if he needs his hand to transform into an animal and get out of his shackles. Okay, as you're doing that, I guess, in character, um, she says, you were attacked by the Ankeg. They roam the Red Sands and attack in groups, feeding on any easy prey they can find. In this case, the Lost Traveler. Easy. Uh, yeah, that's Durf's fault. He was the first one in there. Um, and <laughs> wait, wait, in... In in where? In in the attacking of the straws. There was straws sticking out of the ground. He attacked the straws. I didn't want anything to do with the straws. So I am not weak. He is weak. You're misallocating blame here. I don't appreciate that. Your 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 garb is not of the red sense. Tell me. Why are you here? What brings you to this place? We are looking for uh, a specific MacGuffin. <laughs> uh, that uh, Arcane Tower, have you heard of it? Probably not. Um, no, no. We, we took a, a wild warp ride here. We're looking for a MacGuffin. Uh, we did not locate said MacGuffin. Durf attacked the straws in the sand. I advised him not to. He did not listen to me. Um, and then you had to save those two, not me. I was simply feigning death uh, to formulate a sneak attack. And and what is this MacGuffin that you speak of? I will defer to Durf because he's the one that calls it the MacGuffin. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it's that uh, we were looking for that woman who used to hang out in the desert and she carries, um, you know, that thing we're looking for. You know, Carl, you know the thing. The amulet. We're, look, we're looking you. for an amulet. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Do you guys take notes? Absolutely not. You should definitely <laughs> take notes. I couldn't remember her name, but I know we're looking Sabatha. for her Sabatha. Sabatha. So devoted. All right, take some notes. Okay, so um, at this, she kind of stops, and she goes white a little bit, um, and has a very serious look on her face. Uh, go ahead and do in um, do an insight check, uh, Carl. Since you said the last thing, fourteen. Okay. Um, so behind this this scared look that she has on her face, you actually just kind of get the hint of sadness a little bit, and she says, um, "You you entered the tomb of the lady." Yeah, totally did that. You sought her amulet. Yeah, but it's yeah. not for nefarious reasons. Like everyone else, we're different people. Don't, how, don't judge how us. How am I to believe you? Why don't you make a persuasion check? Uh, just tug? Uh, yeah, you're talking. Natural 20. Woo! 
<laughs> no fucking way, really? Yeah, 100%. Okay, so say, say uh, you, I guess you kind of already said um, why you said you're not for nefarious reasons. So she says, the amulet you seek is gone. I it noticed was, that. It was taken from the tomb. What, what reasons do you have? I believe that they are not evil. I can see it in your face. But what are your reasons? We need to get it to put it with the other MacGuffins to fuse up some sort of monster doomsday device to destroy the person who stole him in the first place and killed Carl's sister and our entire village. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, with a natural 20, like she, she buys all of this. <laughs> she's, she's, and she's Ooh, just, baby. she's just astounded. Would you like to go on a that's, that's going on? <laughs> Um, and she kind of calms down from her, her panicked mode. Um, and she says, uh, she says, um, I have, I have brought you to the camp of my people in the heart of the, of the red sands. We are protected. Can I interrupt for a second? <laughs> yes. Could you maybe, uh, unshackle us? Oh, oh, right. Sorry. Sorry. Me first. Yeah, call and it. she, uh, she picks up her boomerang, um, and in three swift, quick movements, she cuts the shackles or the ropes from your hands, and you guys are free. What is her fucking boomerang made of? Awesome metal. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> it's a pretty sweet looking okay. weapon. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, okay, she says um, we are we are protected here from the storms and most creatures of the desert. We are a simple people and go by no name. We are under no king's rule. It is better that way. We live together and die together. Our children grow strong and independent. Some leave, but that is their choice, and we do not stop them. I like it. You may call me. You may call me Bree. What are like your the names? Cheese? Well, like B R Y, Bree. Like like Bry. Bry. It's Bree. <laughs> what right, is Bri. your name? Durf. Doug. I'm uh, I'm Carl with a, with a K. <laughs> with a K. Carl with a K. Nice nice to meet all three of you. But um, it's nicest to meet me. Right. Well, okay. Uh, come come with me. And she um she gets up immediately uh and walks out of her tent. Um I uneasily follow her. Okay. I mm-hmm. confidently follow her. I have a lot of faith in this woman. Is our gear like? Can we see our gear or anything? Oh yeah, yeah. So all if you my gear is tent, already strapped to me. I, I punch. <laughs> you just punch. Yeah, yeah. Your all's gear is kind of sitting by the bed. She unshackled you, so she assumes like you're gonna okay. you're gonna take it. So you get all your stuff, um, and you follow her out outside the tent. And you follow, and you emerge to find yourself in a fairly large camp nestled inside a pocket of cliffs that reach high above and around you on on three sides. Several huge pillars of stone reach hundreds of feet into the air, supporting wide rock bridges that span and cross overhead, creating a natural ceiling that shelters most of the camp from the harsh desert sun. As you follow Bree through the camp, you pass dozens of green and brown tents, both large and small. You see smoke rising from various campfires and men and women working diligently to prepare their evening meals. Many of them stop to bow or tip their head to Bree, as she passes by. Suddenly a pair of children run out in front of her and stop to look up. And a little freckled faced boy says, any good stories today, Bree? And she says, not this time, little ones. 
I was a little too preoccupied to go on the hunt today. She tussles his hair and glances back at you with a smirk. Um, I'll spin you a yarn, kid. Come find me later. Got tons of stories. <laughs> the, <laughs> tons of stories. The boy notices you and gapes in amazement as you pass. Um, you walk for a short while and eventually pass the last set of tents on the outer rim of the camp. You walk down a rocky path to a fenced-in area in front of a cave built into the cliff walls to the left. Bree puts her fingers to her lips and lets out a shrill whistle. And for a second, all is silent. And then from inside the cave, you hear an extremely loud muffled roar as three giant lizards come barreling towards you. Sweet. And I just want, like, what's your reaction to all this? Because you guys grew up in a small city, right? You didn't see any of this stuff so far. I'm hype as shit about the lizards. Well, uh, I can I use... Can I use animal handling to see what their see what their situation is, see what their deal is? I can intuit their intentions with mm-hmm. animal handling. Yeah, I'd so like to intuit their intentions. I, are, sure, I, yeah. I feel like we're just gonna ride the ride the lizards. Well, ro- roll a check anyway, Jamal or Dirk. <laughs> okay. Animal handling. All right. Uh, fucking twenty. Oh, twenty. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You intuit that these are domesticated lizards. Um, they're not evil. They're not barreling towards you to attack you. And actually, as you are thinking this, you make the obvious um, assumption because they are carrying these large saddles um, with reins that hang down from their necks up to metal bars that are affixed uh, inside their mouths. Nice. What yeah. color are they? Uh, there are two smaller, smaller size lizards. They're, they're still huge, but they're uh, smaller than the third. And the two smaller lizards are green and the large one, uh, the largest one is brown. Cool. And Bree climbs up the brown lizard and says, um, she says, well, and she gestures you all to the other two. Shotgun one of them. All right, I hop on one. So, Sorry, Carl. <laughs> Carl, you just walk in. I call not with Carl. So Tug, uh, the smallest one, takes yeah. a lizard by himself, <laughs> and the other two hop on another one. Um, and Bree whips her beast around, and the others, f- and you guys follow as you scurry along the base of the cliffs away from the camp. Um, after what feels like a few miles on these lizards, uh, they take a hard turn left up a steep path built into the cliffs. The climb seems nearly vertical, and you are forced to grab a tight hold of the reins to avoid falling off the back. The lizards make quick work of the climb, and soon you have reached the pinnacle of a large round mesa. Dusk has come at this point, and you can see the last slice of sun dipping below the horizon to the west. All around you is the barren desert of the Red Sands, as far as you can see. Bree dismounts her lizard and beckons you to do the same. Uh, I dismount my lizard. Yeah, Tug tug hops down but holds onto the reins just in case, and um, he turns to... To Bree, so where exactly are we? What are we doing here? Yeah, what's up? You were literally cooking food. We ate none of the food. Now we're (laughs) miles away from camp. She says nothing, but she walks to the edge of the cliff and gazes north. Um, And she says... I walk to the edge of the cliff and gaze north as well. Yeah, she says, she says, "Come, come with me. I already did that. And you walk up. And you look in the same direction as her and stand there for a few minutes as uh, the sun descends and the sky turns from like a crimson red to a deep violet color. And you make out a faint glow far off in the distance. 
growing as the night comes. You strain your eyes and you can almost make out the blurred outline of a great city towering over which stands an enormous coliseum, the main source of light that you can see in the dark in the distance. Tug, are you hitting on us? (laughs) Tug's kind of in awe at this point, I think. Um, Uh So if she knows that we're looking for the MacGuffin, she also knows only one other person that was looking for the MacGuffin, and she brought us to this point to show us this city, Uh, Tug is under the impression that the person with the MacGuffin, or that last sought the MacGuffin, might be in the city. Okay, sweet. Um, the inner workings of Tug's mind. Is that... Uh, yeah. uh, Bree says, the ancient city of Corbay. And you can almost, like, taste the bitterness that's in her voice. Is that uh, with she, a C or a K? It's with a K. K-H-O-R. Like Carl. What did you say? Did, some, did somebody say my name? You look at Carl? You said, oh. Somebody said with, with, with a K? That, that's me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! I did not pick up what you were putting down there. That's good. That's a good. That's a good funny. Uh, okay. Um, all right. So she she stares at the city after saying this for a moment, and then uh, kind of snaps away from the scene and takes a seat on on a nearby rock. She says, um, "The people, the people in our camp, were not always wanderers. Many years ago, a new ruler forced his way to the throne with blood." punishing anyone he thought to be a threat to his rule. His name was Carsis. Men and women were imprisoned, families torn apart, businesses destroyed. Those brave enough to stand against him were slaughtered. Many bent the knee in fear. Others fled. Those that survived the exodus through the Red Sands made a new life here. The amulet that you seek is in his possession. All right. So were they anarchists in the city too, before the king came and took everything over? Because you guys said you don't have any kings out here. No any leaders. Yeah. Uh, I, I, am, I am not from Corbai myself, but from what I heard, Corbai was a great city. And Carsis came and took hold of it himself. Okay, okay so after he dumpstered Joe out of the city... Uh, sucks. Got it. We obviously need to go get, uh, our neck-related MacGuffin. Um, do you have any contacts within the city that we could join up with, uh, that might be able to give us, uh, the inner workings of the city, give us a lowdown, help us track this thing, because, uh, going in blind with a city with a coliseum, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, doesn't really work Mm -hmm. out for you. Yeah, Planet Hulk. (laughs) Also Planet Hulk. Uh, okay, she says, um, I, like I said, I am not from Corbay. I do not have personal contacts. However, I may know someone who could help us. We need that name. And also, is it really obvious if we ride up to this place on lizards? <laughs> no, no one enters Corbay without direct, direct permission from Carsis. Yeah. He is a paranoid and wicked soul. It would be foolish to try and enter the city directly. Here's our plan. Durf, giant kangaroo, Carl and I hop in the pouch. We get in there. Trojan horse style. It's genius. Hashtag kangaroo. Hashtag land down under. (laughs) What the fuck is happening? (laughs) 
All right. Um, <laughs> Bree says, Bree says, okay, uh, come with me. And she, she hops back on her lizard um, and kind of gestures for you to do the same again. I hop back on my lizard and I run away before fucking Carl can get on. <laughs> Fine. Okay. You guys hop on your lizards. You follow her back down the cliffs um, and along the base back to the cave where you uh, dismount and head, head into camp. Uh, at this point, it's nighttime in the camp. Like I said, the, that spot where you were at was a few miles away. So it take, it took a while to get there and get back. Um, the lights from several fires and mounted torches give the camp a dull orange glow, flickering, flickering off the cavern walls, creating dancing shadows on the rock bridges above. Bree takes you past a few rows of tents before stopping at a large brown pavilion. This is the home of Erin, my most trusted advisor and friend. And by the way, side note, Erin is one of our... Uh, Sweaty ca- or sweaty toad reigneth from the heavens, patrons. So by his donation, uh, that's what this character is named after. Are we, t- are named we talking A uh, A Ron or Aaron with an E? It's A A Ron. A A Ron. What's okay. uh, <laughs> important yeah. to the story? Aaron. What is Aaron's uh, last name in the game? I'm assuming we're not going to give out his full name. So what's his last name in the game? In in the game, um, S. Aaron S. Are you kidding me? Aaron S. E S S. I I didn't think of a last name. His last name is um Milos. There you go. Aaron Aaron Milos. He this is the home of Aaron Milos. Does he have a cool nickname? Because if you paid for this name, he might be a little (laughs) underwhelmed. I think using his real name is a pretty good bonus. <laughs> if we called him by a nickname, it would kind of defeat the purpose. I'm going to call him the Aaron. <laughs> okay. Uh, he says, um, Aaron, she says, Aaron was a lieutenant in the Corby Grey Guard before Karsis came to power. He will know if there is a way inside the city. And she pulls the draping aside on this tent and you enter a large, dark, smoky room. As you glance around this room, you catch sight of several rows of weaponry hanging from makeshift shelving, a few tables with scattered parchment, and a rough lump of cloth forming a bed much like the one you woke up in. A figure sits with his back turned, leaning into a large fire pit in the center of the room, wisps of smoke billowing every few seconds from a long pipe that hangs from his mouth. From this view, you can see his long, speckled gray hair atop a strong, muscular back draped in scarred leather. His hands are folded in front of him, but rest near to a long, curved sword that leans against his stool. Eren, Bree says, and the figure turns and you catch his heavily lined face in the firelight, worn and tired with age. Uh, He sees you and he reaches towards the hilt of his sword, saying, Bree? Friends, Eren. I rescued them from the Ankeg only yesterday. They need our help. They seek entry into Korbai. And he's taken aback by this for a second, and his eyes narrow. Um, and he says, And why would someone seek such a thing? And Bree kind of looks at you guys. We gotta 
we got to get this amulet, and, and the king of uh, the city has the amulet, so we got to go into the city and get the amulet from the king. Okay. Uh, he's evil, so maybe we'll kill him, too. Oh, okay, yeah. Actually, with that, he smirks. He kind of smirks, and he looks at Bree, uh, and Bree says something <coughs> to him, and you can't catch it because it's in some kind of ancient desert language. Just a couple words. Um, Polish, because I speak Polish. It's on my character sheet. Polish is not an ancient desert language, so no. <laughs> <laughs> That's on your. Why is that on your character sheet? I put it on there. Oh, okay. Yeah, you probably won't be able to talk to anybody in Polish in this adventure. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe rat. It's D and D. Okay, so he kind of smiles and he looks at Bree, and Bree says this, and his his um, his face looks concerned, and he looks back at you, and he laughs. He's he says, <laughs> and he takes a puff from his pipe. Um, and with a serious look on his face, he says, um, it, it is a suicide wish, but who am I to deny such a request? Very well, but don't expect me to waltz right into the city with you. I'll get you far enough, but you are on your own after that. Question for you, Aaron, the Aaron Milos. Um, <laughs> do you know anybody inside the city that we can maybe connect with once you get us inside successfully? I know it's a suicide mission, bah, 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 all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody inside we can connect to, so maybe we don't seem as estranged just uh, motoring around. Okay, yeah, he says, um, he says, it's, it's been 25 years since I left Corbay. But I may still have a few connections you can reach out to. Prime. Come come here. Come here. And he walks over to a nearby table um, and shuffles through a bunch of rolls of parchment until he comes to a long, dark brown roll with a red ribbon, tied in a red ribbon. He unfurls the parchment and places two candles on the outer edge to keep it flat. As you approach, you see an old, dusty aerial view of a large city above which lies the word Corbai in great white decorative letters. And I'm going to send this to you. What the city oh, looks boy. like. What the map that you are seeing looks like. Is it? Is it something we're going to have to ask for or <coughs> safe to assume that uh, Aaron, the Aaron Milos, is going to provide us this map? He'll give you the map. Okay. Or a photocopy of it. A Xerox. Yeah, he'll give you a Xerox copy of it. Ancient desert Xerox. Very good. You'll fit right in the city with that voice. <laughs> So this is an aerial map of the city, um, and it's got uh, the various locations of what the city looks like. And the and it's kind of it also shows you around uh, a few miles in each direction around the city. So it says sent. Um, I'm going to post this on Facebook and Twitter, and probably Reddit as well for listeners to look at, kind of check out, see see what they're seeing, just so you know. It looks like two weird boobs. So where are we in relation to this? I'm sorry. You guys are way outside the map. Okay, so we we don't even register as a map. Okay. No, no, no. You're not even on that map. You're super far away. All right. Um, The city is composed of four overlapping circles of different sizes, like ripples from a series of four droplets of water in a still pool. Uh, You can't see this because this is a two-dimensional map, but... um, well, you can't see this. Three of the smaller circles contain what looks like thousands of small buildings stacked in close proximity from center to outer edge. In the center of the largest circle, nearly twice as big as any of the others, lies an enormous coliseum that spans half the circle's radius, 
surrounded on all sides by a palace that wraps around it. The city is nestled in a vast mountain range titled the Silent Peaks to the north and the east. All right. Okay. So uh, let me ask you something, Aaron. I'm sorry, the Aaron Milos. Uh, What's uh, there? I see here a number one through ten. What kind of uh, what kind of information do we need about these different places? Kind of intel can we get? Yeah. So he says. um, He says. There are two main gates into Kobai. Here, the southern gate. And he points to a break in the walls towards the southern circle, number two. He says, Karsus will be watching this intently, packing the place with his men. One does not simply walk into Kobai <laughs> under, <laughs> under his own free will. This is the northern gate. And he points to a break in the wall uh, in the northerners, northernmost circle, number eight, um, which is surrounded by mountains. And he said, this will be less guarded, but only accessible through a mountain pass to the north. It is a four-day ride through the silent peaks to reach the gate. That is, if we can avoid the breathless children that lurk among the rocks. However, there is a third option. And his finger slides down the map to a um, series of tall cliffs that are a few miles outside the city to the southwest, number one. And he says, the escape tunnels of the old kings. It's been 25 years since I left Korbai, as I said. I sealed the only entrance from the Palace of Kings, but the tunnels lead directly to other parts of the city. Parts that Karsis doesn't know about. All right. Can we rewind to those, uh, what did you call them? Silent children? The um, the breathless children? Breathless children, yeah. That lurk in the silent peaks? Yeah, what's, tell, me, tell me more. The breathless children. No one has seen them. And yet, people enter the mountains and never come back. Or they came back and they are forever changed. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember, but I want to fuck with ghosts. That, that didn't that didn't really pan out for us last time. Are those rivers on the map that lead into and out of the city? Uh, yes, those are canals. Durf turns into a sperm whale. We get into his mouth, Pinocchio style. <laughs> get right in there. Yeah, I think I think that's a combat rating two, maybe. So I can't quite turn into a whale. The he says, um, the rivers have since dried up and been closed off from the outside. So the, the map is flat. Are there walls all around the perimeter there? Yes, the walls of Korbai are the tallest walls anywhere in this region. How tall? Six, six seven. Like but... 40 fucking feet tall. <laughs> Super feet. tall walls. Well, what if you could turn into a spider and just climb right over them? Then I guess you could get in if you could pass the guards that patrol the top. What, uh, well, what if you had really good sneak? <laughs> then I suppose that would work for you. What is your name, by the way? I did not ask this. Durf. Who, who, who are your compatriots? Uh, this is Tug, and this is Carl with a K. With a K. With a K. Have we seen any, like, large aviary animals? Anything Durf could, like, turn into and we could just, like, fly into I can't it? fly till level 8. No? 
Uh, you you suck. All right. Uh, <laughs> question question for Aaron the Aaron Milos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tug, hey, just introduced to you, and I see it. Um, what sort of hopefully non-ghost creatures will we come across if we take that lockdown tunnel, so conveniently labeled one on our map? Uh huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, that I cannot assure you of. When I left Corbai, the tunnels were fresh and empty of any kind of evil beings that may have lurked there. I do not know what has happened in the 25 years since. Where in the city will the tunnel take us? The tunnel will take you to a tavern called the Desert Rose. In. In the rags of the city of Corbai. Tug is in. That's where we need to be. That seems pretty far from where we want to go. Tavern's where we need to be. <laughs> Trust me, that's where yeah. all the centers of knowledge are. It's where we can get a drink. It's the perfect place. That's where we need to be. Tugs all in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think we so should probably like- go to the tavern. everybody this is joe your dungeon master uh, hope you're enjoying episode nine it is time in the middle of our episode where we do our podcast promo pause um, this is where we review or talk about just shout out uh, little podcasts that we've been listening to or ones that you may not have heard of yet but you might want to check out so the first one i want to talk about is called the streamer's guide to the galaxy uh, these two people have been really helpful in helping us get the word out about our podcast and they're fans of the show so we thought we would return the favor Um, If you like TV streaming online, if you check out YouTube and Hulu and Netflix and all those places, you like uh, watching some of those shows, this is a great podcast to listen to because they review good and bad shows that you may not have heard of, some that you have, um, and it's just they're really good at what they do, and you should check them out. The second one I want to mention uh, is called Tales from the Fandom. Uh, David Ginsberg, the host of the show, is another one who's been really great in helping us kind of get the word out about the show. Um, He does a podcast called Tales from the Fandom, which is all about uh, different fandoms and different genres of kind of nerd stuff. They talk about TV shows, movies, books, cosplaying, all that kind of stuff. He has a guest on each week, so it's always new content and new stuff that they talk about. Um, I'm really excited because I get to be a guest on his show in June. We're going to record. I'm not sure when it's going out, but I'm excited to be on the show and be a part of what David is doing. It's really great. So go check them out as well. Tales from the Fandom. All right, one more for you here. Uh, This one's a little bit more well-known, but it's nonetheless still an awesome podcast to check out if you are a tabletop or RPG fan. Um, This is called The RPG Academy. They are a local podcast here in Cincinnati, so we're happy to promote something local. Um, and they just put out a ton of content uh, content on RPGs. About uh, they do they do an actual play series, but they also like give DM and just tips as a player, whether it's D and D or other other um, systems of gaming. So yeah, if you want if if you want to learn more about kind of how to be a, a really good tabletop RPG player or GM, definitely go check them out. The RPG Academy. 
I want to give a special shout out to our top level patron, Aaron. He's the only one right now, $15 a month or more. Um, but he is, he hosts the Alexandria Archives podcast, uh, a little swamp side college town where local DJ Morning Wood shares strange tales from the community at midnight, Wednesday every two weeks. It's a horror weird fiction podcast currently accepting strange weird fiction submissions. Listen or submit stories or both. Visit alexandriaarchives.com to tune in. And I don't know how to say this. IA, IA, Windangos. I think. There you go, Aaron. Uh, thanks for being a top level patron. We really appreciate your support and every other patron that we have. Um, thank you so much. If you, if you are interested in being a patron and supporting the show, we would really appreciate it. Um, every little bit helps, and it helps us to to uh, give you guys a better end product with better recording equipment, better hosting, better ways to get our name out there. Um, it all goes to the show, and we would really appreciate any little amount that you can donate. So if you want to, go to patreon.com slash ymiatavern. Thanks again, Aaron. Okay, that's all of our shout-outs. Um, we're going to get to the rest of the episode here pretty soon. If you like what you hear, if you're just joining us for the quest, um, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Reddit and all over the place at YMIA Tavern. Go check us out and follow us and do us a favor and retweet the show and like it and share it with people uh, so more people can get on board. We've gotten just a, a great, great outpouring of support from people that like what we're doing. So if you like what we're doing too, um, spread the word. And if you could do us a favor and write an iTunes or Stitcher review, that helps us as well. Okay, sorry for so much shout outage and break in the adventure, but let's get back to it. The rest of episode nine, we will see you guys in two weeks. Peace out. Okay, um, so yeah, so you guys kind of come up with a plan uh, to go through this escape tunnel. Um, for the rest of the evening, you sit down with um, with Aaron and and Bree, and he kind of gives you the lowdown on Corby, and he tells you all about his time there. Uh, he was in the Grey Guard, which was kind of like the the secret service of of the old the old king um, Varus. He says King Varus, and when Carsis came. Um, a bunch of his fellow men kind of turned to strangely turned because they all swore an oath to protect the king, no matter what the cost. And a bunch of his men kind of strangely turned against Varus and helped Corby uh, take over. And uh, Corby was once a, a pretty prosperous desert desert city. Um, they, there were all sorts of exotic goods coming in and out of the city. They, they, they had open free trade routes between uh, fellow fellow cities around around the region, uh, and when Carsis came to power, he he started asking for for too much, and nearby cities slowly slowly stopped trading as much, and then traded stopped trading pretty much altogether, um, which drained the city of its outside resources. So he's been keeping a watch and an open ear uh, to to what's been going on outside the city, um, and he he 
understands that the city is kind of in a depression and once rich areas of town are now extremely poor and the rags, which you're headed where were poor to begin with, but at least the people were content and happy to be there. Um, and now it just seems like the, the city is in total distress and Carsis is, is turning a blind eye and is just stuck in his palace. Um, not really giving two shits about what's going on and the city that he, he came to rule. So that's kind of what you guys chat about. Okay. Um, so a, a Ron, what do you, I guess, or Bree know about Sabatha and the amulet that we're looking for? Do you all know anything? Okay. Um, Bree, uh, cars or uh, <clears throat> sorry. Aaron kind of, directs this question to Bree because he doesn't really know anything about an amulet. But Bree says, um, Bree tells you, um, he says, if you speak of the temple of the lady, I I know of this place. This is where I rescued you from the end cake. And, uh, yeah, she says, um, I, I believe Karsis had took the amulet from this tomb. But that is all I know. Hmm. And um, her and her and Aaron kind of exchanged sideways glances. I saw that talking about this. Um, in Aaron's breakdown of the goings on or the inner workings of the city, does he mention to us his contacts that he might have? Uh, yeah, he's he um, he says um, an old contact of mine, Simon. He is an old friend. If his patterns continued, you will find him at the Desert Rose. Seek him out. I guess when we get there, we'll get to see what Simon says. (laughs) 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 Oh, zinger. Good lord. Low-hanging fruit snatched violently. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Okay. All right, so you guys... Um, Tug jumps you... off the cliff after. after going to <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, okay. Yeah, you guys hang out for the rest of the night with them two, chatting, chatting it up. And um, Bree offers you the beds for a, a night's rest. So previously where you had like only gone to one HP, where you all were... Uh, you were really low health, bandaged up, in bad shape. Bree gives you this soup that kind of perks you right up. You get a good night's sleep. So you're back to full everything. And um, with all this that's going on, and with that near-death experience that you had, why don't we level you guys up to four? Which probably should have done in the Arcane Tower, but whatevs. Let's, uh, let's level you up to four. So um, let's uh, start with... Adding your uh, HP, your extra HP that you get. So remember, you roll your hit die, you add your constitution modifier to that, and then you add that to your max HP. Tug got a plus six. What's your hit die? A 1d8 plus zero. Okay, so you got six more health. All right. Carl? Carl got a plus 12. Damn. Damn. You got the 10 in there. The 10, yeah. You got the ten? Yeah. This is that's uh, ridiculous. Don't you have a? Oh, you have a plus, plus two, two plus two modifier. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, it's plus one, so I got seven. Seven. Okay. All right. Sweet. So you guys bump up that. Um, at level four, you also 
So we discussed this before because you knew you were going to level up, but um, you you gain an ability score increase. So what this means is that you are allowed to increase your score. That's not your modifier, but your total score and any five of your abilities um, twice. So you can increase one ability by two or two abilities by one or um, without taking that ability increase, you can choose one of the feats that I sent you. Uh, which are in the player's handbook, and then there's some extra ones that I sent you on Earth Arcana style. So have you decided what you're going to do there? Yes. Durf, why don't you start? Um, okay, I'm going to do the Animal Handler feat. And Animal Handler gives me plus one wisdom, which brings my wisdom up to plus four, which is pretty dope. So what's your score and go to? My wisdom's like the raw number. Oh, plus 18. four, I guess, would be, what, 18? 18. Okay, so you were at 17. Yeah. Dope. Um, and what it does is, because I'm already proficient animal handling, it doubles my proficiency bonus for animal handling. Um, so I now have plus eight animal handling. Wow. And I get a skill wherein I can take a bonus action to command a friendly beast within 60 feet. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I can either tell it to do something generally for a minute, or I can tell it to do something specific on its turn. Okay. And you have to roll an animal handling, handling check for that, or you just do it? I think I just do it. Hang on, let me look. They've got to roll some kind of save or something. You can't just go commanding animals all the time. Well, it's a friendly animal, though. So oh, it or something that's friendly to you. Already friendly. So like Eugene. Who yeah, we haven't heard we from didn't hear in a while. From this episode, what? Yeah, yeah, last episode. So no. Eugene, yeah, we'll just say we broke <laughs> the street. World. Eugene um, was kind of like with you when you died, and was like, <laughs> he was like, no, what the? Okay, <laughs> I'm doing all these like different accents. I can't get back to America. Um, he says, no, no, not you, Durf, no. Don't die on me. Don't die on me. He does like little rat CPR <laughs> on your chest, like pushing his little paws down. Um, and he's kind of followed you. He hid when when Bree came by, um, but he followed her back to the tent and uh, and he is back in your possession. So you can feel free to use Eugene at your leisure. Okay. 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 Carl, what's uh, what's up with you? What are you uh, doing? I'm just I'm going to take the two points and add them into my strength score to raise it up to 18, which will increase my modifier from three to four. Okay. Yeah. Simple. Sweet. Yep. Tug. Um, I chose squat nimbleness, which adds a plus one to dex, which brings my dex up to 18 as well for a plus four boost that, uh, damage action. Um, I got an increased, uh, speed of plus five feet. And then, um, I was able to add athleticism as a proficiency. Athleticism so that's, part, that's all part of that feat? That yep. you chose? Mm-hmm. Damn. Okay. Um, okay, so sweet. So that's like your basics, like everyone gets that. What about your your you as a as a um as a class? What do you get at level four? Um so as a class, I get uh my fourth key point. And okay. I get slow fall, which is uh, I can use a reaction to reduce uh fall damage, uh assuming I pass the you know the the roll, 
Uh, I can re- reduce that damage up to five times my monk level. Okay. Sweet, sweet. Uh, Carl, or who, Durf, whoever's ready, what, what else do you get? Uh, I just get some more spells. Um, oh, oh yeah, and I can turn into, I can swim now. I can turn into swimming creatures now, so I can turn into a shark, I can turn into a crocodile. Okay. Um, those are the only swimming ones at this level. <laughs> okay, sweet. Uh, Carl, you get anything special at four? Nope, I got ah, nothing nope, Giant seahorse. Hold on, oh, giant seahorse. <laughs> Turn it up. Hold on. I got I to gotta look that sucker up. Okay, wait, 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 wait. There, okay, no. <laughs> I, I was letting this slide a little bit. Just You have not seen a giant fucking seahorse yet. Maybe I'd turn into a shark. Maybe I turn into a crocodile, go in the water, see a shark, and then turn into a shark. I'll go swim deeper into the ocean and see a giant seahorse. Okay, well, when we come to some kind of episode where you're near a body of water, sure, we can make that happen. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. Uh, All right. So everybody's set. All leveled up. Your health is up. What's that bring your all's total health to? 27. 27 for Durf. Tugs is 23. Carl, Carl is 39. Legit. Okay. All right. Excellent. Okay. So let's uh, let's continue on. So you guys get a, a really good night's sleep. You wake up the next morning um, and you head out of camp towards the city of Corby early uh, on the giant lizards with, with Aaron, with Aaron. Um, he tells you in the morning that it's a day's journey to the tunnel entrance. And the darker it is as you approach the city, the safer it will be because of the patrols that kind of uh, the patrols and scouts that kind of uh, um, lurk outside the city. The lizards effectively effectively scare off any creatures of the desert. So you don't have to worry about and kegs attacking, attacking you. So your journey is, is mostly uneventful towards the tunnels. Um, just as the sun dips across the horizon, you come over a ridge and see the massive city before you. Nestled among the base of a tall, brown, ominous mountain peaks that reach above the clouds. The curved stone walls stretch out wide around the circles that form the shitty, the city, the city's shape. <laughs> Each one shitty a, ever since that king took over, yeah, right? Yeah, the shitty city's shape. Each one a different tier, higher than the one before it. Climbing up the widest circle closest to the mountains. I'm gonna say that again because I fucked that sentence up. Each one a different tier, higher than the one before it, climbing up to the widest circle closest to the mountain. So it's kind of like a staggered cake, if you think, like layered, but not in the same stack. So on the bottom, on our map, the bottom set of misshapen boobs lowest elevation. is lower than the top set of misshapen right. boobs. Each little which circle. Which are more misshapen than the bottom Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Each circle of the city is on a different elevation, different plane. Um, Okay. So in the largest circle, uh, you see a massive arena cast in wood and stone. It's as tall as the arcane tower and at least 10 times as wide. Flanking on each side stand a pair of identical golden statues as tall as the arena is of a horned humanoid arms crossed and looking out towards the city. As you stand in amazement, staring, I assume you're amazed by this, or you're just like, 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, I've seen better. Uh, Tug's amazed. <laughs> Tug elects to be amazed. Okay. Uh, as you stand in amazement, staring, the silence is broken up by Aaron's voice. The redemption pit. Tarsus had it built shortly ever after he came to power. He is paranoid to a point that the dungeons below the Palace of Kings fill quickly to the brim. To make room, Karsis holds what he lovingly calls the cleansing, a death match that pits prisoners against each other. In each match, dozens of prisoners are forced to fight. The remaining three are forgiven of their crimes, just so long as they come before Karsis and plead for mercy. That's fucked up. There were as many as ten cleansings a day when it first opened. And he stares at this for a while intently um, at the pit. His face is stern, but you watch as a single tear falls down his scarred cheeks. Come, he says abruptly, and jerks his lizard hard to the right, back down the ridge. Uh, You head for a short while back away from the city towards a set of high cliffs you recognize from the map. Aaron leads you around the south side of the cliffs, where you finally stop at a spot where several large boulders have fallen from the rock face above. He dismounts his lizard and weaves in and out of those large stone, these large stones, beckoning you to follow. After a good 50 feet through the boulders, you see a small opening just tall enough for Tug to fit in, dug into the cliff face. No one could have seen this place unless they knew it was there. This is where we part ways. The tunnel will lead you far underneath Corbai. When you come to a crossing, take the left path. That will lead you straight underneath the desert rose, in the heart of the rags. Where's the right path go? The right path leads you to the Palace of Kings, where I closed off. Let's not go there. <laughs> he, um, he also hands you a, a small rolled up piece of parchment. Uh, with a waxed seal of a rose on it. And he says, Give this to Simon when you see him. He will know what to do. What are these tunnels comprised of? Are there rooms in these tunnels? It is a straight tunnel that parts ways into multiple parts of the city of Corbay. Hey, do we need disguises? Are there like uh, paladins and halflings walking around this city? Uh, no. No, they're not. S- Simon should be able to hook you up with some garb. Cool. Some Jordans. And some stilts. <laughs> uh, so I can make it through the crack. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like, it's tall enough for you. It's pretty wide. Oh, okay. So they, they, like, I don't need to go in and then figure out how to get them in as well. No, no, no. They can, they can fit. They just can't just waltz in gotcha. like you can. Uh, well... Should we get onto this thing or what? Yeah, I can't waltz in. I'll I'll tango in. I tango into the crack. Okay. Hey, Ron. Uh, he's uh, Aaron. Aaron sees you and he says, "Good goodbye, my friends, and good luck." Thanks. Thanks. So you you enter into into this cave and um you you get through you get through quite a ways um pretty easily. the The tunnel's really only wide enough for you to move single file. But by watching your footing closely, you can almost reach a, a light jogging, light jogging pace. Is it dark? Yeah, it's pretty dark. So I guess, Durf, are you leading the way because you have night vision or? Oh, sure. we have torches and shit, don't we? 
Yeah, but like he's got night vision. We might as well just put him in the front and let him. In case there's anything down here. Okay. That's cool. Okay, so Durf's kind of leading the way, and you guys are just holding on to each other's like tunics, like a, creating a train through this this single file tunnel. Yep. Um. And it, okay, so Durf's pretty much the only person that could see. So after about a half mile, something in the tunnel changes. And you begin to see large, 10-foot-wide, perfectly round holes in the rock that move perpendicular to your current path. What What do you mean, perpendicular? Like, down? Like, you're going straight, and they're cutting across to, like, a four-way intersection. You can still oh, see so the single-file tunnel in front of you. However, you just started seeing these bigger tunnels popping up to the left and to the right. Um, I think we should definitely just stay the course. Yeah, that sounds like some sandworm tunnels or something, or ankeg tunnels. Okay, all right, it's cool. So you guys keep going. Perfect. Um, you pass through a few of these. You pass down, pass a few of these without hesitation. Uh, but after about four or five, you're a little further down. You're probably about halfway there at this point. You've traveled a good mile um, into this cave. You, there's n- absolutely zero light coming from anywhere from your entrance, um, and. Tug, actually everybody, you hear a a faint, distant, gurgling growl down one of these tunnels that sends chills down your spine and kind of halts you in your in your steps. Can I do a nature check and see if I know what it is? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seven. Okay, yeah, you um you don't know. You can you can tell that it's not some kind of like like a lion or it's not anything that you have heard so far in your lifetime around the forest. Okay. Um, so it's not a giant seahorse. It. It's not a giant seahorse. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, wait, no, you said I haven't seen one. So maybe it is a giant seahorse or right now working theory. Uh, there's a giant seahorse down the tunnel. That's what I say. Okay. To everybody. Sure. So derp to say, Hey guys, I think it's a giant seahorse. <laughs> so we were frozen in place. Uh, maybe, it, maybe I'm going to creep. I'm going to keep going forward, but I'm going to creep a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, throw it forward through the tunnels. You're going a little yeah. slower. Yeah. Trying to make less noise. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you, you walk for a little bit longer and that noise gets louder. And now you hear a different noise, um, when you come to one of these intersections and it kind of sounds like a large man dragging their boots along a muddy trail like this sploshing noise every few seconds. It does seem like what a giant seahorse would sound like. <laughs> um, okay. I don't know. What do you guys want to do? Well, I whisper. I, what do you guys want to do? You're the only one who can see currently? Yeah. Yeah, but I can't, I can't see it. We're, just, we're all hearing the same shit. All I see is cave. Right. So are we at, identical amount of information so are we at an in- intersection? Yeah, you're you're currently stopped again listening at this noise. And the noise is coming from like up the tunnel in front of no, us. No, it's coming or to from the, the big holes. Yeah, it's not coming from the tunnel that you're walking down. It's coming from the the large 10-foot holes through the walls. So, I, so do we just want to like book it? Yeah, I was going to say I think we should light a torch and book it. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll produce a flame and let's let's book it. Okay. Sweet. So you produce a flame in your hand, and yep. uh, now everyone can kind of see around them, um, and you book it, and you start running as fast as you can in single file, um, and 
with this noise that you're making, you actually start hearing this this sound grow louder and louder, this sloshing sound and this gurgling, growling. Um, and you run and you run and you run and you run and you emerge finally into the center of this circular cavern um, with a flat floor with identical tunnel openings to your left and your right. Oh, well, we are supposed to go down the left tunnel, I believe. So I keep running toward the left tunnel. I mean, we're... I, you guys follow? Yeah. We're following suit, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So just as you get to the center of this room, about as about your as you're about to turn left down this tunnel, the stone above you in the ceiling starts to bulge and crack. And from the ceiling directly in front of you, in front of the two tunnels that you want to go down, drop two ten foot long green worms. Told you it was I told you. They're thick bodies curl around themselves for a moment before raising their heads towering over you revealing several circular rows of razor sharp teeth dripping with hot green slime give another special shout out to our $5 keg of sweaty toad ale uh, patreons uh, that happens at the end of the episode Kevin McCluskey Adam Hoffling Austin Alba you all rock thank you so much for your support 